Yes, well, good morning and welcome to Labor Beat Radio, broadcasting here on the Enlightened Radio Network, uh, which you can easily find at www.enlightenedradio.org. Um, and all the time there's a uh, player um, located at player.enlightenedradio.org. Uh, Let me get those things turned up here. Yeah, there we go. Um, and, um, well, today we have <laughs> a couple of attendance problems. One of them is a uh, dead car that uh, currently is in uh, Rockville, uh, Maryland, the uh, nearest place that a, apparently a West Virginia owner of a Tesla can uh, get help <laughs> if there's a serious problem so anyway and in, in addition we have a uh, absentee from our chicago friend uh, scott marshall this morning but uh others may chime in and here um fortunately i was well prepared uh today and i want to take up a couple of issues uh, my name is john case of course and uh we've been doing the labor beat radio uh, off and on, mostly on recently uh, for the past 10, almost 15 years, actually. And um, covering a wide range of subjects, <laughs> but try to stay related to uh, wages, working conditions, and, uh, you know, a little bit of war and peace. Uh, other than that, um, that's, that's been pretty much uh, our agenda. The, the higher wages party, I think we used to call it. <laughs> but um, um, today, um, or yesterday, rather, uh, the Secretary-Treasurer of the West Virginia AFL-CIO, Andy Walters, um, apparently at a recent legislative conference in um, Charleston, West Virginia, just uh, last week, week uh, a couple of weeks. I couldn't go for family reasons. But um, I, and somehow I got nominated for a participation in an artificial intelligence uh, committee, um, which I, I only <laughs> uh, latently realized was a national initiative of the AFL-CIO, um, and apparently initiated at the very top by uh, President Liz Schuler, um, who has... Uh, been in the press um, basically uh, recently and uh, since October when um, just after an executive order had been issued by the president on um, how the president was going to implement um, safe and um, well <laughs> more accurately would be to say uh, discovering the safe and most helpful and useful ways uh, to deploy and use um, artificial intelligence in um, the United States. Now that's a gigantic subject. And of course, um, from the standpoint of policy, many things are being uh, evolved. Uh, however, uh, in the very beginning, Labor Secretary, um, uh, 
what is her name, Janet Sue, um, she um, issued a statement indicating that um, the federal government was going to place a priority on the role of collective bargaining um, in uh, artificial intelligence. And so let me uh, just take a look here for a minute at the uh, statement that uh, uh, Sister Schuler, I'll call her Liz Schuler, our president. Um, let me, <laughs> I gotta find the uh, article here. Uh, I had it. <laughs> As usual, it's right in my paw. Uh, here we go. Um, so, um, this is actually extracted from a uh, po political report, but uh, as I'll try to mention later, there was um, a lot of discussion, kind of derivative of it, uh, at the uh, discussion last night by this uh, committee being set up by the uh, leadership of the AFL-CIO to explore and uh, develop a, a wide-ranging discussion in uh, different regions of the country uh, about labor's reaction and um, what they're seeing happening on the ground with respect to uh, implementing artificial intelligence technologies. Um, and it's what the big questions that are being raised might be um, about the impact. So, um, but nonetheless, at the, uh, this is recent uh, discussion, um, uh, Politico reports it like this, the, the union AI playbook grows up. Um, ask AFL-CIO President Liz Schuler what she wants from the federal government on artificial intelligence, and her first answer is not a surprise. Strengthen collective bargaining rights, like generally. Um, and here's what... Uh, President Schuler said, uh, through every industrial revolution, labor has been the force that has harnessed the technology and channeled it in a way that's productive and safe. Um, and, you know, she's uh, more interested in um, leaving the regulations and investments related to training workers for jobs. Um, uh, that, that's, the, that's where she really is focusing on her efforts. How uh, do we get investments relating to training and jobs so that people impacted by artificial intelligence are not left behind? Um, so she's advocating for a traffic top entity to uh, basically vet technologies for harmful effects before they're put on the market, similar to uh, the Food and Drug Administration or uh, an agency that oversees things like uh, uh, making sure drugs don't kill people <laughs> before they're put on the, on the drugstores of the world. Um, Anyway, so the AFL-CIO posture in AI in recent months has escalated um, from a high point of, um, already high point of de demanding a seat at the table on AI-adjacent negotiations and in demanding that the labor movement be the greatest counteracting force to AI's disruption 
in the entire country. We need a plan, she said. We need to be that stabilizing force. We are the only movement that can do that. Um, so I think that that is a, a, a great opening uh, that President Schuler has made. And um, it sort of strikes exactly, I think, the, the right tone. It should be said, by the way, that uh, I, I meant, I said, Julie Sue is the current acting Labor Secretary. And sitting alongside Schuler in a um, separate interview this month uh, with Politico, she said the answer to AI equity questions of the future, quote, depends on government doing the right thing. Um, if we go down a path uh, in which we don't have guardrails, in which uh, we don't prioritize the well-being of working people, then we don't want to look back and say, I wonder what happened. Now, what she referring to, uh, it's a very, um, what's that's referring to is the fact that when the big round of uh, technology in communications and transport uh, made uh, and the circulation of financial goods and the interaction of currencies um, and uh, the ever-widening uh, network of globalized industries and corporations uh, was coming on board and exporting a lot of uh, manufacturing, you know, a lot of union jobs overseas to low wages, cheap markets, you know, easy to extract national resources, et cetera, et cetera, flunky governments to pay off and take gold out and by the tons, you know, that kind of thing. Um, well, uh, you know, that little gravy train has uh, come coming to an end. Um, so uh, I, th I think that in looking at all the people that lost their jobs and the net social effects that happened, and basically we can just uh, summarize the whole matter with Donald Trump. In my view, he's uh, pretty much a product of leaving people behind. Not that Trump, uh, I don't believe, has ever shown much evidence of uh, giving a shit about people being left time himself, but he has a uh, line of resentment and grievances that has attracted them, uh, even though he's uh, in policy pursues just you know, very blunt, you know, billionaire interests, and everything else can just uh, you know. Uh, live off the crumbs so but nonetheless he's uh with his uh you know very racially charged uh you know uh anti-crime you know anti-immigrant uh uh you know you don't like the liberal elites blah 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 you know and um and appealing to, you know, the most uh, reactionary forces in the country dressed up in as Christian nationalists. Um, you know, so you've got a, a pretty 
potent cocktail there of uh, negativism that's arisen, and I think that's what uh, Julie Sue was talking about, you know. Uh, what happens if you don't pay attention to the guardrails, if you don't pay attention to what happens to people left behind by what looks like a wonderful thing for some people to get rich. Um, and others, though, get left behind and they're pissed off. Um, so, to avoid that, how do we approach artificial intelligence? So that was the subject of the discussion um, yesterday. There were folks participating from on quite a few different regions around the country. I don't know whether everybody was there. Um, and I participated just solely as a result of a, like, I got put on our West Virginia uh, committee of some kind. And, um, you know, I was available to, to get on the call. And I'm very thankful because it was a wonderful discussion. And uh, the leader, um, a gentleman named Garrett, very, uh, seemed very well informed about um, the general direction of AI uh, investment and technological direction, at least uh, in broad outlines, and uh, had a good had a, it's did a pretty good job too summarizing uh, recent experience uh, that affiliated unions have had in contract negotiations where there are significant artificial intelligence issues uh, on the table. And of course, the most prominent of that um, was the Screen Actors Guild uh, contract negotiations in California. And um, where, um, who owns the creative content of the creative writers and other creative workers that are producing the films and TV series and all these other content that everybody is uh, spending a lot of time watching on streaming services, the, the old movie buildings to the extent they're, they're are they making a comeback? I'm, I'm not sure yet, but. Um, and so all those workers, uh, you know, were not getting paid for any or, very little of the redistribution rights unless they had, you know, extraordinary personal contracts of some kind. And um, so recovering the, that money uh, for those writers, well, you know, how are you going to deal with the incentive now on the management side to completely exploit um, artificial intelligence technologies to basically uh, mimic the work of creative people and in effect uh, perform, you know, 50%, 60%, some big chunk of the work being actually performed and cost jobs and <laughs> never get the uh, creative um, intellectual property rewards that you should have deserved. Um, so, um, they made some progress on several fronts there in the negotiations and in this that were you know laid out in this discussion yesterday and one of the important ones was is that when discussing with the studio managers and the and the motion picture companies and um ai they had 
the members and the writers and the, you know the the creative people had a ton of ideas about how AI could be used to greatly increase their productivity and the what they could do also uh, to improve production or make it speedier or make it easier to rewrite or change or add other features that. Uh, uh, may have taken a whole lot more time before, or in, entire reassemblies of casts and production crews, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, as, as you can see where there could be a lot of uh, thing. And um, nonetheless, you know, um, and they, the management apparently was somewhat convinced that uh, there was a way, uh, there were ways in which they could uh, have more common ground uh, about it and achieve gains from artificial intelligence without just uh, uh, ignoring you know, the creative people and basically trying to replace them as quickly as possible. <laughs> so um, anyway, that was, the, uh, that, that was an example of how you know, the issue had landed on the table in um, a particular you know, sector of the economy. It was interesting that in response to that, you had a number of different kinds of responses from around the country. Uh, Kentucky, for example, um, there the concern was um, significantly different. Um, there the concern, for example, I believe it was Nashville or, or Memphis, one of the two major cities, was considering uh, replacing um, or introducing uh, fully automated electronic cars, buses, as school buses, at least on certain routes, um, because they could not hi hire enough certified bus drivers to get the current population to school. Well, okay, and in, not only that, the state legislature, so therefore had basically authorized uh, uh, buying a number of these uh, auto buses uh, and to take the place of a certified driver. Of course, the, the auto bus, uh, you know, only eats gas, only eats <laughs> battery electricity. Um, and you know doesn't have to have a probably doesn't have an arrest record or anything like that you have to check so um you can see you know the appeal in some people's eyes uh, so laying off or replacing uh, public services like transportation with um, you know automobile ai um Similarly, uh, the legislation being considered in Kentucky was also going to impact the ability to use similar vehicles um, in in-state uh, transport. Uh, so, you know, again, uh, eating into um, you know the transportation workforce. Um, other places, it was shown that. Um, uh, I'm just focusing on the job issues here now. Um, the uh, replacement of uh, a lot of personnel activities in management uh, 
for example, hiring and in some places even firing being assigned to automated uh, decision-making software. Um, you know, oh, you had a certain number of absenteeisms due to medicine, but two of them don't appear to be substantiated, you're terminated. You know, if you want to appeal, send an email to so-and-so. Um, you know, I mean, these kind of things. And, of course, the, the now infamous uh, use of AI as employee surveillance technologies in the Amazon warehouses, for example, um, where it's just, uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, you have no reason to, you know, believe the company's assurances that, uh, you know, the bathrooms are not fully televised. <laughs> so I just, I mean, just give you the, the, the kind of um, paranoid mentality you could have because everything else, at least, is. Um, and, uh, you know, the interaction with robotic or robots there, too, also. Uh, you know, there was a great example in, in one of the, the warehouses, for example, in, in uh, just across the border in Virginia from us here off ID-81, where um, a uh, worker was injured uh, by a uh, malforming or badly performing um, automated uh, little robot truck that, that, that goes around doing quite a few things. Um, and anyway, there was uh, no, no one to call. <laughs> well, that someone nearby did, did call and say there's been an accident, but um, it was the wrong shift, and so, you know, the, it's all electronic. There's no supervisor directly in sight. I mean, wherever there is one, they're supposed to be watching in remote. But anyway, there was, there was no response, and the broken robot came back and ran and ran over the employee again. I'm not, I'm laughing. I shouldn't laugh, but it's just, uh, uh, you know, so you can see there's a lot of issues and, um, on the job. We have, in healthcare, uh, there's similar, you know, introduction of technology to replace uh, missing workers, uh, missing in large parts because of unbelievable uh, conditions in both hospitals and schools uh, since, since the pandemic. But, um, you know, the, again, uh, it's a huge effort to try and use technology to uh, replace um, the kinds of instructors. Uh, for example, I mean, the explosion in online education uh, currently going on. Been going on for some time, actually. Um, but, you know, a top, one of the top people in artificial intelligence, for example, in the, in the United States, anyway, he teaches mostly from a background in Stanford University and with Google. Um, he teaches a, a whole series of courses on art AI that are top level um, and um, has a million students per class. 
And further, when you dig a little deeper, for example, into the um, Kentucky situation, and why is it that you can, uh, you know, what, where did the idea of getting um, robot school buses <laughs> uh, come from? Well, it, one of the more recent, just in the past six months, tests of the chat GPT um, technology, also uh, the tech word is called large language models, basically a language text language processor, um, uh, big scale, but, but that's, it's, its input is primarily text, uh, although images are also becoming, um, in, image generation uh, also becoming uh, uh, a, much, a, a mature technology as well. Um, and you can expect uh, the mediums in which the technology is being applied, either text with, jet, with the chatbots, uh, images, generators, uh, and of course, you know, down the road, you have, you know, what about video? What about audio and video, you know? Um, and you, you can, if you get into it, you can see how well that's it, not quite there yet but it's gonna get there eventually, and it's all a question of how much data. Um, the uh, plat big platforms that can train large language models uh, can have access to. So uh, in, the, in the new world, one of the interesting expressions from uh, President Schuler and from our friend Mr. Garrett there on the, um, the led the discussion yesterday for the National AFL-CIO, was that the best way to think about an AI is to think about data as the same now for this technology as oil was for the automobile machine age beginning around 1900. Um, if you think about that in a way, there are very, very similar. And there's similar reasons why both the energy industry and the data industry have a powerful built-in, uh, kind of almost technological um, uh, tendency toward getting bigger and bigger and bigger scale, or what we used to call monopoly, uh, monopoly formations, where there's just very large platforms that dominate a particular sector that the technology is, is working in. And we've seen that happen in tech where the high-tech companies, the, what they call them, the Magnificent Seven, uh, are now uh, amount to th over 30% of the entire wealth of the Standard & Poor's 500 uh, most typical corporations, I guess you might, I'll use that word in the country, and so seven amount to 30%, so 493 take up the rest. <laughs> so you get a sense of concentration um, of wealth in these tech companies and the size of these platforms, and they're all have immense uh, data uh, I don't know what you call them, lakes, oceans, uh, in some cases. Um, you know, I mean, uh, 
Facebook has four and a half, last time I looked, four and a half billion accounts. And the amount of personal data that they have on uh, of every kind um, on people on their customers, um, it's beyond calculation. But the same can be said of Google and uh, uh, Microsoft. Everybody that's on a Microsoft machine, you should know that you do. You, you no longer at one point you did, but you no longer own the operating system that's on your machine. You know, you probably know this if you've read the license, but. Um, Microsoft owns it, and they have access to it. Um, now, there's lots of pretty good laws. Well, not that good, but there are some laws that uh, say you're not supposed to sell it without uh, this personal information, without permission of the person involved. And if you do, uh, it can be a crime. Uh, but you don't have to sell it to use it if you're one of these big platforms. Um, you know, just because you're not selling the information doesn't mean you're not using it in, you know, compiling or composing your own um, kinds of algorithms that are always seeking to match a, a query, a question with, uh, you know, an accurate or inaccurate or a classified kind of um, uh, entity of some kind. What class is it? I mean, is it, I want to see uh, something about Russians. Well, so I was like, go through all the Russians. I want to see something about uh, um, LGBTQ, you know. Well, so to, to AI, that's a classification problem. And, um, you know, and whether it's that or whether it's uh, the generative AI of, you know, saying what, what comes next um, and, or uh, other modes that uh, you're going to see the specific implementations uh, get deeper and deeper and more accurate and more accurate as long as the data flow grows. Um, and now you know why uh, Amazon has Alexa uh, as long as you keep Alexa plugged in in your home, I gotta tell you that it's on, even if you tell it it's off. <laughs> it's not off. <laughs> you should you should think about that. And it's always listening, and it by default it will record. So you know, just uh, you know, word to the wise there that the spread of these technologies is huge and um, let's take as the last point on the AI issue that, um, that we're, I've gone through some of the discussions on on it uh, there are also uh, maybe with me a second to the last point before the last point I should mention that there's currently a large amount of litigation uh, working its way through the courts uh, challenging um, various aspects of this data flow into the giant platforms. Um, maybe very prominent uh, and probably headed to the Supreme Court is the uh, New York Times um, suit against Google uh, 
because um, Google allows um, reproduction of substantial parts of prop allegedly uh, intellectual property owned by um, the New York Times um, saying that it's being copied and redistributed and recopied without permission or compensation to the New York Times by Google. And um, so that's a case that's going to get to one of the, the naughty problems is, is that one, uh, AI is only as powerful as the size and quality of its data resources, richness of its data resources. Uh, countries that have that feed their AI systems richer data will have higher performing AI systems. Um, if you impose all kinds of you know copyright agreements on every single uh, piece of stuff that you know Google or Microsoft or the rest of them want to use or want, or want to at least read, uh, allow their systems to read, well. Uh, you're going to go behind the Chinese and others um, who choose to, you know, be a little more liberal about that. The Chinese solution is interesting. They basically told the big platforms, if you're going to have access to the data, so are we. <laughs> now, that may be a little much for Americans to swallow at this point, but uh, I think it's worth considering that there's really not any other protection that is available. Um, the companies are, you may argue for the next 20 years about whether they own this data, but you can't, uh, one thing for sure is they possess it. And um, so, and I don't, I, I don't see any way you're going to get it away from them. The big question that might remain is, can we make the major data platforms pay for the cost of people left behind? And what is that cost? Because it could be immense. It could be truly immense, bigger than the first wave of globalization, seriously, okay, which was bad enough, in, in my view, basically gave us the whole um, polarization in the country reflected in the Trump movement in particular. Um, so if we want to avoid that, you know, then taking care of people left behind. And what does that mean? Well, that means retraining them so they too can be productive with the new levels of technology. And I don't know where it all leads. Right now, I think, you know, ultimately it's got to lead to the power to transform the planet to generate the energy we need without poisoning us or burning us up. And uh, that's a, and then if we get done with that, I suppose we can start working on the other planets in the solar system. So I don't see any limits to what it can do, but the big question is, is uh, you're gonna leave half the population behind while a few go a little ways, get really rich doing it, but you know, they end up having to set up a military dictatorship to keep people from uh, 
at the bottom from clawing for food. So um, that's, that's the big question. And um, I think that's a, it's a theme also of uh, Julie Sue's remarks and also uh, uh, Liz Schuler's focus on what's happening with the training, what's happening with the transition. Where is the just transition? And is there anything besides the labor movement, at least at the core, um, that can provide the inputs necessary to make a just transition really work? Is there any way? And uh, I, I think it's a pretty argument that if there is, uh, I don't know what it is, and I don't know whether anybody else does. So I think uh, President Schuler's view on that is, is the thing of the day. So that, the, that's a big report there on AI, and, um, and that discussion is ongoing. They're going to meet on a monthly basis, I think, and, and explore, uh, get deeper into it, and see uh, where, where we can go um, and you know, what's going to happen, and try to build on the uh, incredible year of labor activization. I know some people have noted that that did not automatically lead to a giant increase in membership for the year, but it lit a flame that um, uh, I think people are going to get, and that is the solidarity flame. Um, it has the power to do things that you can't do <laughs> by yourself, and um, you just can't. Uh, anyway, so uh, last big story, the Boeing uh, International Association of Machinist Workers have presented um, Boeing with a demand for uh, similar increases that uh, basically recovering lost money from both previous concession contracts and the impact of the inflation and the pandemic on their jobs. And they are asking, demanding uh, and threatening um, a possible strike action uh, for a 40%, 45% increase in um, wages. Uh, because they've lost, uh, counting the last 10 years of concessions and then the inflation, they've lost that easily. Okay. So it's not, uh, it's not a get rich demand. It's a get back even demand if possible. Now, there's another aspect of the, the Boeing situation, of course, that you probably guessed from the headlines, um, that makes it an interesting thing. Um, and I, so uh, uh, that is, is that, of course, that Boeing is under uh, big scrutiny by the Federal Aviation Agency and uh, customers, as well as, uh, <laughs> Um, over near accident that took place when a, uh, I think an engine fell out, a panel fell off, uh, maybe it was an engine, but something fell off in the air and then an inspection revealed all kinds of problems with the uh, Boeing 737 MAX, uh, screws falling out, all kinds of uh, issues uh, that were could have been disastrous, weren't. This caused a pause in the delivery 
of these airplanes, which of course are immensely expensive to produce. Um, and now, of course, countries like uh, China was a big purchaser of Boeing. Um, the Defense Department, obviously, a big purchaser of Boeing. And, but their uh, other airlines are now having to look to Airbus, the European um, you know, commercial airliner producer. Um, and Boeing's in trouble, and its uh, management is in trouble. And the FAA itself is now a little bit in trouble, too, because of alleged lack of adequate supervision of Boeing going back uh, at least 10 years. Um, and so you might ask, well, why, if the company is in all this trouble, would the labor, you know, say, oh, we want 45% wage increase and catch up from where we were. Okay, now I'm going to say right now that uh, even though it's catch up and stuff, I don't know. I don't know why the exact uh, narrative, other than I've been reading about the 10 years of concession, uh, uh, and maybe I may even go back a little further. Um, and I'll just leave you with a, a story, okay, that I think could explain um, the mood and mentality and spirit of uh, the uh, Boeing workers at this kind of moment. Um, a number of years ago, like in the, uh, <laughs> I'll say a number, this is in the 80s, um, we had a, uh, um, of course, we just following a period of very high inflation too, got up above 10% um, for a year or two in, um, under uh, uh, the Jimmy Carter administration. And um, right even before uh, Reagan came in in 80, uh, the chairman of the Federal Reserve back then, a man named Paul Volcker, uh, decided to, uh, you know, dramatically raise interest rates to keep the inflation, largely of which was a result of the, of the Vietnam War. Um, and, uh, hold on, we got a call from Mr. Bill. We're on the air, Mr. Bill. What you got? Oh, okay. He's calling me later. Um... Boeing, yeah. So, uh, in, and in this early 80s machine shop, there had been three, the third contract, and since it was up, they usually ran around three years apiece, and people had been hit hard by inflation. But not only that, in the previous contract, they had, because the company claimed they had poverty because of the you know, they had been bought by a conglomerate and then resold and they were short of money and all this. And we had made a concession back then. Um, and then also it had happened actually the previous contract before then and the leadership had been thrown out of office for, you know, caving to company, you know, poverty commands even then back when they were with the, the big multinational. So the third time came around, middle of the inflation, the company says we can't afford anything. 
the members voted to strike the plan. Why? Well, because, you know, there was some people that wanted to take it on, you know, nine years before. Um, but Rab voted each time because who wants to go and strike a company that may go out of business as a result? I mean, what would be the point of that? You know, what are you striking about? You know, over you know, pay or working conditions? And usually strikes take place when people feel they're being attacked and they're defending their conditions from being eroded or wiped out or whatever. And this was, became true here, too, except there was an extra zing to the whole matter. And that was, uh, they've tried to screw us over, uh, over the whole past 10 years. In the meantime, we got hammered by, you know, the inflation. And now they're going to do it. They're obviously uh, going out of business, and they want us to pay the ticket out of town. And um, so that's what the, the members' attitude was. If you're going to commit suicide but have us take the bullet, to hell with you. Let's all go out now. Take you two with us. <laughs> That was the mentality. Um, so, you know, you can um, exhaust the patience of people. It usually doesn't happen in a short period of time. It, it takes a, a while. And it takes to be in a place where the people, for good reason, had commitments to the job. Um, it was doing something they needed. And um, then all of a sudden it fell apart and fell apart again and fell apart again. And, and and people didn't tell the truth in the process. And the, you know, the management, they, they, they're told to send out a message, and they sometimes they'll tell some people the truth, but they, but they tend to stay with the discipline as long as they're with the company. I mean, that, you know, the management will insist on that, mostly. So um, a collision took place, and again and again, and bad faith took over good faith, and the, which meant the bargaining process died. Um, and so there you go. Um, well, that's enough for today. Thank you for tuning in to the uh, Labor Beat Radio Show. We'll be back next week with a few more guests, I think. i got to get my ass in gear here. Um, but I hope we covered a couple of the, the artificial intelligence topic a little bit and helped you a little bit understand that. And cheer on. The machinist at Boeing, there's no fix to any of these big problems in the economy, including what happens to Boeing. I mean, maybe Boeing has to be nationalized for us to have a jet airliner manufacturer. If so, I'm sure we'll do it. Uh, the French did it at one point, and I think the Chinese have done it. And um, Airbus is still mostly private, but gets a ton of government assistance, too, uh, from the European Union. So anyway. Um, we'll, uh, we'll see what, we'll see what happens down there. But, uh, I, my guess is if anybody has a fix in that whole company for how to move forward, it would be the machinist local. <laughs> Take care. It's late, but everything comes next.